This is Crucial Tech, a podcast about the technology that affects us all, but few of us understand, presented in a format that can give you some basic understanding and the time it takes to drive to the grocery store. I'm Luke Covey, an independent journalist who's been writing about various technologies ranging from renewable energy to digital security for more than 40 years. I probably know more about it than you do, and if I don't, I will introduce you to those who do. Welcome back to Crucial Tech. It's been an interesting couple of weeks. Uh, we've had two very interesting interviews with Tim Beharin and with Matthew Rosenquist. And I've got Joe Basquez back with me because we're going to do a wrap up. Hey, Lou, how's it going? Oh, it's it's been a wild few weeks. <laughs> been busy. It's been busy. Yeah, it's a good thing that we're on. You know, we're basically in shutdown here because I, if I went out, I'd lose my tra- train of thought. But <laughs> we're going to go into this AI thing. Tim Beharin gave us a fairly negative view of whether we're ready to have full AI controlling our lives, and Matthew Rosenquist had a fairly positive view of uh, of it. Uh, what's your take? You know, Lou, I, I listened to both of these podcasts and I came away with kind of one overarching idea. And that was really whether you take a negative look or a positive look, they both left me with the impression that what we're in right now is kind of this data gathering phase. And what what they both said we need, basically, it's okay if, if we use this in a very limited scope and very limited applications. But in order for us to expand it and use it all over, we need more examples of things that are happening. We need more data. And the more I started to look at that, I started to say, you know, basically what we're doing, and this is what people do every day, right? People get up and they make decisions, thousands of decisions every day when they'll get up to what they'll eat uh, based on their senses and the data and what they're bringing in and past experiences. Sometimes they get it wrong. Sometimes they get it right. When you get it wrong, you go, wow, I don't want to do that again. And when we're in this data gathering phase, that's what we can expect this AI to do, right? They recognize patterns just like people do. Sometimes it's going to get it wrong. Sometimes it's going to get it right. But when when they get it wrong, we're hoping that they learn from that and can use that in future decisions. So, you know, why is that important right now? I think that's important because as a consumer, you need to understand just in general terms where we are, what level this technology is at, so that you can assign a certain level of trust to it, right? And that really got me thinking about this podcast, and that's exactly what you're doing and why this podcast is so important. You kind of help people kind of cut through the bull, right? So so here's a perfect example, is that I walked away from those two podcasts thinking that we were in this data gathering phase, and then The very next day, I see a a press release or a speech from Elon Musk and Tesla that he believes they'll be, uh, they will have level five autonomy in their vehicles or the basics for it by the end of this year. And level five basically means that there's no human interaction. There's no steering wheel. The car can drive itself. So where are we in this? Are we in this data gathering phase or are we at a level five? Yeah, I think Elon Musk is 
the 21st century version of P.T. Barnum. <laughs> he's great at marketing, right? He, knows he exactly really what he's is saying. because there are already level five autonomous vehicles in use today. On uh, in, in London, there is an entire train system that is fully autonomous. Okay, P there's no drivers. It's all run by computer. They come to the stop, people get on, goes to where they want to go, they get off. Okay, and that's a completely autonomous situation. But here's the thing, it's on a track. It's on a predictable course constantly. And it does not interact with any other traffic whatsoever. It's that limited scope that both Tim uh, and Matthew talked about, right? Right, absolutely. And, and that's, that's the thing is that if we're going to have autonomous vehicles, they can have no other interaction with humanity. You know, it, it, and I don't, I don't care what Elon Musk says about what, what our capabilities are. No other car manufacturers is, that is involved in autonomous vehicles believes they are at anywhere near the point of level five. And there have been so many instances with Tesla cars failing in their own levels. I mean, I've talked about this several times where, where Elon Musk uh, cars can't determine the difference between a tree and a shadow. Okay. Mm -hmm. And they're not getting any better on that, no matter what he says. So if Elon Musk has figured out a way to eliminate the human involvement uh, on any level, then he can have his car. That means, but that's going to mean lanes on roads uh, on, on our freeways that are only for autonomous vehicles, period. Right. So that was my next question is eliminating people means eliminating all the other cars off the road unless they are exactly the same. Right. And, and we're nowhere near close to that. Uh, I think the, the last thing I saw was there are 500 million motor vehicles in the United States alone. Wow. You have to replace all of those. So let me tell you why I think this is important. And it's, it's a great thing to talk about too. I mentioned it before, assigning a level of trust to these things, right? As a consumer, if you get in this car and you hear that it's got level five autonomy, you need to know, right, what that means. And, you know, should I set this car on autopilot and take a nap while it's driving? If we are in this data gathering phase, that's probably not the best idea. Now, I'm not saying that you should or shouldn't trust these technologies that come out. What I am saying is you should be aware of what those things mean and make an informed decision for yourself. And that's where I think this is anything that has AI in the name or in the description right now can get funding, can get money, can get people's attention. And they think this thing works 100% of the time, all the time, because that's what we think AI is. Yeah. What these two interviews told me was we are nowhere near there yet. Nowhere near. And, you know, I think that was, that was one of the things that, that um, Tim, Tim pointed out about the, the, the Apple uh, iOS 14 that's coming out uh, now in beta. There will be an AI in the phone, okay? And the AI will say, oh, look, there is an application that is tracking the user. So rather than 
stop that, it will send an alert to the user to say, okay, you're being tracked by TikTok. And that'll give the user the choice of turning that off and denying it and moving on to something else. But if they don't take that choice, they're going to be tracked. Uh, there was, there, there was a, a cartoon, I saw a cartoon meme. TikTok says, hey, do you want to be tracked by China? The teenager says, no way. You can do silly dances. You son of a bitch, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> so as you, were ta- as you guys were talking about this, that's exactly what I was thinking about and what it means for marketers, right? Yeah. There may be an AI that comes up that says you're being tracked. As a marketer, I am now wondering, what do I need to do to help people be comfortable with allowing themselves to be tracked? And we're already seeing this all over the place, right? Yeah. We, we, we've got you know, discounts on your car insurance if you plug this thing in and let us track how fast you're going and where you're going. Yeah. Sometimes it's discounts. Sometimes it's putting your email address for this free report, whatever the case may be. So you know, it'll be interesting to me, uh, you know, to see what happens when those alert comes up. Will people actually turn it off or can they be incentivized to give this information away? We do it with our health information all the time, right? With Fitbit trackers and all these trackers, right? And it goes to your insurance company and they give you a discount. People are giving away tons of information uh, sometimes knowingly, sometimes not. But a lot of it's just based on dollars. And I think that they, you know, Tim talked about the marketing industry and how much that data, how important that data and how valuable that data is to them. And I can guarantee you they're going to find a way around this. They probably are working on it. Matter of fact, uh, I've been talking, uh, we've done an interview and I'm still talking to this company called widget.com. Uh, widget.co and what they do is they make it possible to implant a code into a graphic on, on online could be a video a photo a pdf the consumer will see that picture on there and they can click on the picture and it will open up a chat bot with uh, the vendor and at that point, the vendor can ask a certain number of questions and the, consu- the consumer can decide what questions he wants to get, give answers to. But there becomes a mutual one-on-one conver- or, or, or agreement between the vendor and the customer as to what data is going to be given up. But in this case, instead, instead of the social media uh, technology, which is widget.co, uh, collecting the data and then selling it to other people that data gets eliminated altogether. It's not say, it's kept on the, on the servers. It's only kept on the servers of the vendor. So that is a workaround that uh, uh, marketers can use because it actually sets up a transparent discussion between uh, the vendor and the customer with not without a third party uh, holding onto the data. Uh, so that that's one way of, of looking at it from a technological standpoint. Uh, but at the same time, my take over the over these two interviews and on the research that I'm doing on ethical AI uh, for for the book that I hope to get out sometime next year um, is that at this point, probably for the next foreseeable couple of decades, we should. St- we should not use 
and we should stop using AI when it comes to human evaluation. We, we, we think of AI as something in the future, but uh, Tim Beharin actually said he's been studying AI for 20 years. And as I thought, started thinking back on it, I said, yeah, it's actually been around for a while. You know, we think of baseball, sabermetrics. Uh, sabermetrics is a granular AI that, that looks at the performance of athletes in, ma in Major League Baseball. And they make decisions not only on who to trade for and who to acquire, but they also make decisions as to where they should be placed in the field during a game. And the good thing about it is that it is not only transparent, everyone knows what everyone is, is looking at, but it's constantly evolving because e even the people who made sabermetrics it will admit it doesn't accurately describe the the value of a, of a player because you can get a player who doesn't seem to be doing well on the field and you let him go or you trade him and suddenly he becomes a superstar on another team. Well, there are obviously some factors in play that cannot be measured. So using an AI to, to measure people is not necessarily a good idea. And in some cases, it's been absolutely disastrous. Um, I, I've recommended this book before. I'm going to recommend it again. Weapons of Math Destruction. Not mass, math, M-A-T-H. And it talks about AI at its basic form, the algorithm. And the woman who wrote it actually takes credit, well, not shares some of the blame for the banking meltdown that we went through um, just before President Obama came on board. And she, she, she takes blame for it because she helped develop algorithms that caused uh, the, the banking industry to, to depend on the, the, those shaky mortgages and sell them back and forth because it can created a false view of the value of the, of those, those bonds. In, in the end, it actually caused the destruction of, of the banking industry for, for about 15 years. Employers have been using an algorithm to determine the mental state of potential employees. And there was a young man uh, who had had to drop out of Vanderbilt University because he was bipolar and he needed to get himself under control and get his medications balanced. And he did that. Um, and he was applying to another school, but he needed to get a part-time job, part-time minimum wage job in order to make ends meet. So he went down to a Kroger's grocery store and applied. Well, they use this, uh, this, uh, algorithm to evaluate answers to questions that have been developed by human resources to screen out people with mental illness. Now the thing is that's illegal. According to the Americans with Disabilities Act, you cannot discriminate against someone for mental disability. But the thing is these, the employers don't know that these questions are biased. All they do is that we just know this is, this is how we evaluate who we're going to hire. And this kid couldn't get the job at Kroger's. In fact, he couldn't get a part-time minimum wage job anywhere on the East Coast. Everywhere he applied, he got rejected. And every single one of them used this same algorithm to evaluate him. 
And his father happened to be a lawyer, so he is suing them left and right. But the sad thing is, this young man committed suicide last year because he could not get past this bias algorithm that kept him from getting gainful employment. So that's why my take is, okay, if, if you're going to use AI, use it to protect people. Uh, in the area of digital security, uh, the the people are, that are the hackers out there are already using AI to determine who to go after. So we can use an AI to defend against that. And an AI can actually, in a in a blink of an eye, evaluate a new type of attack, and then defend against it before it before it ever happens. That's, but the thing is, the AI doesn't have to be balanced and ethical to do that. As a matter of fact, it needs to be imbalanced in favor of protecting the individual on the other end of the attack. And that's a good use for AI. That's but, actually a really interesting thought because it's probably something people haven't thought about much. I have heard you talk about ethics in AI and bias and we won't get too deep into that because this could be a seven hour podcast if we did, <laughs> but that's a really, I mean, the very nature of the system, right? You're asking it to look at data, look at what typically happens in a set, certain set of data and make a judgment on what is likely to happen. That is to me, by the nature of the system, a bias. You're trying to figure out what's likely to happen based on what's happened in the past. Yes. What that tells me is it's very much like people right what it's what what it what it can do is use a larger set of data than people can do and it can do it much faster but all the flaws that we have as people whether it's bias or our own opinions are could be just as prevalent right in in the programmer and the programmer may not even know the engineer who built the system may not even know they have an underlying bias uh, it it's it's very very well i, I I, I hesitate to say impossible, but it looks impossible to build a system that is not biased. So what you should do to protect people is look for ways to use this where the bias is desired. Right. And yeah, that's, and the discussions we're having now in this, all around the world now, it's not just in this country, about institutional bias. You know, there, we, we don't think through what that term actually means. Mm -hmm. it, right. doesn't, it doesn't mean that people are intentionally trying to discriminate against other races and people. It just means that the system has been created by people, even with good intentions that are overwhelmed by the systems themselves are overwhelmed by the bias that no one actually sees. This is what concerns me, right, is yeah. that we could, as people, we could say, okay, there's this level of bias in the system, and we know this, and we can adjust for it. Yeah. But right now, if I was to tell you this AI system is biased, people are hesitant to believe you because they go, it's a computer. How can it be biased? It gets it right every time. It's ones and zeros, right? Exactly. That's and, exactly and, what Tim, Tim Barron said. Exactly. Exactly. And so until we all come to some kind of an agreement that it is possible for these systems to be biased. And again, this is what I was talking about. You should be aware that these things are out there. You don't have to be an academic about it, but you do need to know that it exists and is out there. 
that I think is, is the most important thing we need, we need to learn from this. AI has been with us for a long time. It is not perfect. It is not close to being perfect, even in the most optimistic viewpoint, because that's, you know, going back to uh, one of the things that Matthew Rosenquist said, is that it all comes down to the questions you put to the system. And he's sure that eventually we're going to have the right set of questions that are unbiased. But even, even in his positive viewpoint, he said, we're not there yet. Matthew, uh, I'm, I'm going to give a plug uh, for Matthew. He has several pieces on Medium. Uh, so look him up. But he's been doing quite a bit on AI. I think I kind of uh, jarred him loose with our discussion. Uh, but he's, he's looking into the issue of, of AI, especially in the area of uh, the, the spread of malware. And one of the things he points out is that those guys are using AI now, so we need to apply AI against it. And that is probably a positive view, view of it. But going forward, um, when it comes to taking over for humans, I, I don't think we're there yet. At this point of the conversation, Joe and I were just wrapping up, and uh, the next day I started uh, editing the, the audio, and he sent me a link to an article in the Detroit Free Press in the middle of this. It, it related another situation where a person was misidentified by facial recognition AI and falsely accused of a crime. And unfortunately, once again, it's a black man who was wrongly arrested uh, in 2019 for grabbing a cell phone from someone, or essentially stealing a cell phone and then throwing it away, cracking the screen and breaking the case. And the Detroit police used their facial recognition technologies in that investigation, identifying Michael Oliver as an investigative lead. After that, the teacher who had his cell phone snatched from his hands identified Oliver in a photo lineup as the person responsible. He was charged with a felony count of larceny, and in May two, uh, 2019, the incident on Warren Avenue in Detroit. But he told his attorney he didn't do it. And in fact, the matter, evidence in the case supported him because he wasn't anywhere near it at the time. But the police used this particular piece of inf information to arrest him and charge him. And it wasn't until about three days ago that the case was thrown out because it didn't work. That's another example of why we are nowhere near ready to deploy facial recognition software for criminal activities, period. So I just wanted to jump in here with that late report. Um, this has been Lou Covey and Joe Basquez with Crucial Tech. Uh, we are uh, available for a comment. If you go to the Anchor.fm app on your mobile device, you can actually leave a message to us, one minute long, where you can make a comment about what we've said. You can ask a question, or you can even uh, suggest a, uh, an idea for a f future show that we can investigate for you. Uh, that's what we're here for. Uh, if you... Uh, like what you hear and you want to support us we're open to donations because we're not making any money at this right now but we're doing it out of a labor of love and concern for how technology is affecting us uh, so that's on the anchor.fm app uh, you can donate and you can comment 
Hopefully you feel a little bit safer and have a little bit more information about AI and facial recognition. We're looking at that. We'll be continuing looking at this over the next few episodes, uh, but that's the bottom line. Uh, we will look into some apps uh, or some technology that are specifically for this. As I said, unless it's a very specific application, it's not really ready for prime time. So this has been Crucial Tech. I'm Lou Covey, and this is a Fort Washington Media production.